Hi, I'm Jeffrey. Welcome back to Nightfalls. Come, settle in for tonight's calming meditation and soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Well, Summer is fast approaching here. The days are much longer and the birds are going nuts <laughs> in the morning. I'm currently trying more than ever to appreciate each day. The seasons seem to fly by, which is particularly handy in November, but perhaps not so much in May. Wherever you are, I hope you're sleeping a bit better and that what we do helps you. Come. Join me by the fireside tonight as I tell you of a friendship first forged over late night chips and curry sauce. Yum. George, Colin and Ruby's friendship has stood the test of time. And as they weave in and out of one another's lives over the decades, I'm reminded of the friendships I forged in Nightfalls. Tonight's tale fills me with certainty that wherever my path through life takes me, it will forever be twinned with Devani. Anwin, Otto, and Lyra's. Before we begin, here's a word from our valued sponsors who make this free content possible. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive, and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. We get it. Distractions happen. That's why we designed the fully electric, full-sized Volvo EX90 with the latest technology to keep you and those around you safe. 
Its two-sensor driver understanding system is designed to prevent distractions and help you stay focused. Reserve your Volvo EX90 today. Learn more at volvocars.com US. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Just before we start tonight's tale, let's take a moment to wind down and relax. Come to a comfortable position and let your eyes gently drift closed on the day. As you take a moment to soak in the silence of the night, let a deep breath Wash in through your nose. And when you're ready, sigh out in relief through your mouth. Tonight, there's nothing to do. There is nowhere to be. There is only you, breathing easily and evenly in through your nose and out through your mouth. So let your brow soften. Let your tongue fall away from the roof of your mouth. Release your jaw and allow your shoulders to sink into the soft cushions beneath you. Try to breathe in time with me tonight. Inhaling for one, two, holding for one, two, and sighing out for one, two. Breathe in for one, two, three, hold for one, two, three, and exhale for one, two, three. Breathing in once more for one, two, three, and four, and hold for one, two, three, and four, and exhale for one, two, three, and four. As you lean in to the lengthening of your breath, perhaps you notice your thoughts beginning to slow, your mind beginning to clear, and your body sinking a little deeper into relaxation. Now, if you're feeling ready, tonight's tale can begin.
George and Colin had been friends for years now. They met at uni in the first week when everyone was slopping neon paint on their arms and glitter on their faces, going to sticky clubs to awkwardly ask one another what they would be studying and which decrepit halls of residence they belonged to. Is that the one with the threadbare carpet and bare bricks? or the one with the slug infestation. People would shout over the music. Both of them were fairly shy then, lingering on the edge of the dance floor, and neither would have spoken to one another voluntarily if it weren't for the opening bars of a Spice Girls song, which had them both heading out the door. Colin turned to George and asked, too much for you. George wasn't sure if Colin was making fun of him, but smiled and answered honestly, yes. The two spent the rest of the evening bonding in a late night takeaway over chips and curry sauce. That was the start of the most comfortable friendship either of them had ever been a part of. The rest of the year, they were each other's dates to whichever house party they had begrudgingly agreed to, gradually bringing one another out of their shells as they had more jokes to share and stories to relay, eventually even beginning to enjoy themselves. There came a point when they didn't need one another's support to turn up at an event but they always turned up together anyway, accustomed by that point to their little traditions. They would always meet together before parties to cook something together, some rudimentary bolognese with jarred sauce and overcooked pasta, or instant noodles with microwaved broccoli. They would cherish this time together more than any dull club night, listening to records and joking around, playing some game or arguing over a movie neither of them really cared about. They moved in together in second year with a girl, Ruby, who Colin had met in class. Ruby was a force to be reckoned with, much unlike the boys. She wore stompy Doc Martens and floaty dresses and was constantly outraged by something or other. She grew out of this with time, but the boys were always entertained by her passion and her drama, her dating stories and wild ambitions. The three of them moved into a little red brick terrace, which, with a lick of paint, was quite homely. Ruby had a car, an old boxy Volvo which would complain and splutter on every journey, but it got them here and there. They drove out to the garden centre in their first week, where they loaded up on 
leafy potted plants and cacti to add to Ruby's collection, which they used to turn the plain house into a partial jungle. This made the house surprisingly cosy, especially when combined with the mix and matched old china crockery and funny trinkets, cushions, rugs and throws that they rescued from charity shops. It was hard to notice the cheap sofa or scratched skirting boards when confronted with such a mix of colour and texture, with your attention captured by their crochet blankets and silk pillows. They even set about conversing the old fireplace, pulling out old newspaper stuffing, cleaning and fixing the log burner so that they could cozy up in the lounge, watching movies with the fire flickering in the background and warming their toes. The three of them squabbled occasionally about who drank the last of the milk or who bought the last pot of butter, but they grew to be a little family. Colin and George took up chess and were constantly hunkered down on the sofa, bathed in the warm light of the lamp, brows furrowed over the chessboard. Ruby would jokingly call them the house husbands when she came in from whatever dance class or quiz night she had been at, but she was always relieved to come in to the warm. She would change into her fuzzy socks and plonk herself down on their squishy second-hand sofa with a nice cup of tea, insisting they switch to Scrabble. Spending time together with the guys at home was always her favourite part of the day. George was learning graphic design, and Colin enjoyed using his skills for silly projects. They would scheme over fantasy projects together, doodling logos, and making inaccurate blueprints. They first came up with an imagined board game that was going to take over the world, which, when it came down to it, made very little sense. They next planned on making a chili chocolate company, then to convert an old car into a coffee cart. Their plans were endless, and neither of them really minded if they ever came to fruition. Rather, they enjoyed dreaming them up together. On the last weekend of university, all tired from the celebrations and still high on the relief they had been carrying since walking out of their final exams, Colin, George and Ruby hopped in the old car and trundled off to the seaside. They ate vinegary chips and looked out over the cliffs, watching the steady lap of waves far beneath them. 
It was to be one last day of peace before the boxes were to be packed and they were feeling very zen indeed. It was one of those rare sunny days in Yorkshire and they'd taken off their jackets to feel the warm air on their skin. Ruby was kicking her legs back and forth and Robin had his head upturned to the sun, soaking the heat in through his eyelids. George glanced at his friends and smiled before looking out across the bay at the endless, flat sea. He had a feeling that these people would always be in his life, no matter where they went now. He reached over and put his arms around the two of them. And they laughed and protested as he spilt his remaining chips into their laps. The next year after graduation, the three friends went their separate ways. George moved to York to work a laid-back design job and start building a life for himself there. Colin had a curiosity that he wanted to satisfy and took a sabbatical teaching English abroad. He had never left the country before and he immediately loved it. He was living in a small town near Barcelona and he spent every day strolling through the streets visiting markets and restaurants, using his hesitant Spanish and feeling like he was in the perfectly right place at the perfectly right time. The first thing he did when he arrived in Barcelona was visit a pokey little tourist shop where the walls were plastered in fridge magnets and sunglasses and caps emblazoned with the word España. He chose a magnet in the shape of a rainbow-speckled gecko for Ruby, and one designed in a mosaic-style cityscape for George, and he tucked them into envelopes with gaudy postcards that he wrote silly messages on and sent off to their doors. The town he moved to was sleepy, made from endless rows of white buildings with terracotta patios and red flat tiled roofs. He bought a second-hand bicycle and would cycle through the streets, watching the old men sipping coffee outside of little cafes, and the ladies selectively picking fruit to fill their wicker baskets at the supermarket. He would run through the national park nearby, listening to the trill of crickets. He never thought of himself as an outdoorsy person, but he began spending all of his time outside, watching this new, charming world around him. George would write emails to Colin, waffling on about the old cobbled streets and higgledy-piggledy houses of his new home 
updating him on his zany father's recent art projects and on the new restaurants he had discovered. George was coming into his own, taking on hobbies and making new friends. Colin read his emails with a smile on his face. George even fell in love with someone he met at the cinema, a schoolteacher named Alex. When they were both there to see some arty movie on their own, Ruby sent notes too, but hers were via postcard and a lot briefer, covered in doodles and lots of kisses. Soon, Christmas rolled around and they were to be reunited in York. George met Colin at the train station with a big cardboard sign and a huge grin on his face. Immediately, they fell into their old patterns, teasing and squabbling with one another, laughing quietly in the corner of a pub. The pub was made of old rough stone and a fire was roaring in the corner and with the warmth and orange glow and the easy company of their old home, it felt like they had never been apart. Soon Ruby barreled in, as she does, to wrap them in bear hugs and kiss their cheeks again and again. Ruby had been working in Edinburgh for a theatre company, in which role neither of the boys completely understood. Her cheeks were flushed as she gushed about every little thing she had been up to. Finishing her recap, even before the little snowflakes melted on the shoulders of her faux fur jacket. They spent their first evening back together, strolling around the Christmas market, sipping hot chocolate and eating waffles and hot dogs, giggling together at the more bizarre trinkets on sale, which would have looked perfectly at home in their old place. George noticed that Colin had come back not only with the remains of his Spanish tan, but a subtle confidence which hadn't been there before. Colin was still as softly spoken and quietly quick-witted as ever, but now he held his head high. He looked around himself as if he were more present than before, smiling his kind smile at anyone who crossed his path. He seemed delighted by everything he saw. The little children in Christmas dress-up, queuing at Santa's grotto, and the huge vat of mulled wine that twirled in a whirlpool as cups were ladled out from it. Colin saw something similar in George, he was intrigued by the way George spoke of his work projects, no longer discussing outlandish and fantastical projects that would disappear from their heads soon after they were discussed, but having a calm enthusiasm 
and satisfaction over each small detail of his day. He seemed grounded and familiar with the streets they walked down in a way that made Colin smile. Ruby hadn't changed at all, and on that they both agreed. The next morning they ate breakfast in a cobbled, twisting street, tucked up in the warmth, seated by the steamy window. They sipped tea and laughed some more. Ruby declared that she couldn't wait any longer and gave the boys their Christmas gifts of wonky stripy crochet hats which they pretended they couldn't wait to wear. The deception went down well until the boys caught one another's eye and Colin snorted with laughter so suddenly that tea went up his nose. Ruby pretended to be offended, and so the two of them wore the hats religiously for the rest of the day, almost to her embarrassment. When the weekend was over, Ruby and Colin went back to their corners of the world, with their hearts full. George stayed in York, where he watched winter turned to spring as the sun began to twinkle again with more force over the surface of the river and the potted plants in his garden began to bud and flower. In March he moved into a little apartment with Alex and the two of them set about on DIY projects They put in shelves and replaced skirting boards, soon getting distracted from the boring parts and setting about building a little red table and two wobbly stools. The table's varnish was splotchy and the stools gave them splinters, but they were very pleased with themselves. The flat was cosy and furnished with leather sofas and fluffy rugs with George's art on the wall. The last thing they installed was a little flap in the door for their new cat, Tabitha. George liked nothing more than cozying down with Tabitha, curled in his lap, and his electronic drawing pad balanced on the arm of the sofa, tickling her chin and stroking her long grey fur as he worked on his designs, hearing Alex pottering around in the kitchen. Over the next year, the friends didn't see much of each other. Colin visited in the spring and they again spent an easy weekend together, laughing and playing chess in the flat's little courtyard garden. George visited Ruby for a whirlwind weekend in Edinburgh, but otherwise, life got in the way of their meetings. Whatever happened, the emails and the postcards never slowed. 
Colin moved from his little Spanish town that year for a similar job in Uruguay. His Spanish was much stronger by then, and his thirst for adventure hadn't dwindled. The following spring, a letter dropped with a light thud on the welcome mat by George and Alex's front door. It was in a pale lilac envelope with their names scrawled on the front in a familiar font. It's from Ruby, George said. He peeled it open and pulled out the card within. It was an invitation in thick cream paper doodled over with pictures of a little couple holding hands. He laughed and called through to Alex. You won't believe it, he said. Ruby's getting married in Croatia. Alex laughed. To who? George had no idea. All he had to go on was a name, Luca, and the doodle, which had a little beard and wore a top hat. He laughed and picked up the phone to give her a call. George and Alex came through the arrival gates of Dubrovnik Airport to see Ruby and Colin waiting for them, clutching a cardboard sign as per tradition. They all hugged and laughed, and George twirled Ruby around, saying, Congratulations. The wedding had come as a surprise, although it was not so shocking. They knew Ruby would be perpetually surprising. She had met Luca briefly at the Edinburgh Fringe the year before, and they exchanged numbers. He was a pianist and an actor, and he was as spontaneous as her. A few months passed, and Ruby flew to Croatia, where she and Luca realized just how much fun they had together and decided to take off on a European tour in Luca's rusty camper van. They swam in Lake Bled, cycled through Copenhagen, and learnt flamenco in Seville. And then they returned to Edinburgh, where Luca began playing piano in a jazz club, and Ruby was welcomed back to the theatre scene with open arms. Just months later, they found themselves here, in Croatia, ready for a wedding thrown together haphazardly in Luca's parents' garden. Ruby's eyes were shining with happiness, and she didn't let go of Colin or George's hand until they were in the cab, heading home. The wedding was very Ruby. She was in a simple white silk dress, with her usual boots poking out underneath. Luca was overjoyed to meet her friends and family and they were bowled over by his energy. There was a swing band with trumpets and a huge double bass and trays of home-cooked food ladled onto paper plates. When they had heard that the wedding was in Luca's parents' garden, 
they hadn't got the picture quite right in their heads. The garden was on a cliff top, overlooking the ocean, and the old stone buildings that spread out along its beach. They'd put up a billowing white tent and turned the vast patio into a dance floor and hung lanterns from any branch strong enough to hold one. Alex immediately was swept away by the party, easily attracting conversation and taking to the dance floor unprompted. Colin and George lingered by the sidelines for a while, watching the festivities and enjoying each other's company. Colin had been thriving in Uruguay, though he had headed to Spain purely for adventure those years ago. He had found his passion, quite by accident, and was entirely fulfilled by his teaching. He was also pretty fond of the sun and the home he was building there. He joined a chess club and played other young enthusiasts balanced on wobbly tables near the beach. Before long, he had quite the routine going. He also confided in George that he was hopeful that he may have found the love of his life, a fellow teacher in the night school where he was working. He said she was beautiful and charmed by his still slightly incorrect Spanish, and he thought he may be on the precipice of something quite special. Before long, Ruby rocketed over and grasped them by the hands and pulled them onto the dance floor. They let her twirl them about and danced as she ordered them to, all laughing as they always were when they were together. Colin was back from Uruguay for a month and they had grand plans to spend as much time together as possible before he returned, starting with a week in Croatia. Ruby wasn't much of a traditionalist, so she and Luca would be spending their honeymoon showing the boys around the country that meant so much to them. It was to be a week of swimming in waterfalls, taking boat rides and long drives and eating slow dinners on terracotta terraces. It was the longest time they had spent together in a while, and they cherished every moment. Fifteen years later, the car pulled up at a little stone cottage near York. There were bushes of lavender bursting from the flower beds, buzzing with bees pots of Michaelmas daisies either side of the lilac-painted door. The letterbox was painted with a name, and as Colin climbed out of the car, he pointed and laughed. It was the picture of a settled, idyllic home. Julietta joined him by its side and laughed too. Quite a home these guys have built, she said. 
the door swung open and two little bodies ran down the path to throw their arms around their legs. A small boy and an even smaller girl clung to them, making a racket. George and Alex emerged behind them, watching from the patio with smiles on their faces. They missed you, Alex called. Shaking off the children, Colin approached the door to give them big hugs, and Julietta followed, the little girl in her arms. The kids were so much bigger than last time. Percy was now seven and Mira was five, but they were always deceptively strong with their hugs. It was hard to keep track of their growth by video chat, but in person, Colin could see how much they had changed in the short time that had passed since his last visit home. They were five and three then, tiny little things who were keeping George and Alex in constant motion, racing around the house to put right their little paths of destruction. In the hallway, they found Ruby and Luca, both tanned and happy from a long summer touring with the theatre company, visiting venues from Glasgow to Cornwall, spending the time in between touring in Luca's new, much less rusty camper. Although they had been married for 15 years now, Ruby and Luca had no plans for settling down, and they had spent the last years creating shows, working with comics, actors, art students, and musicians. They met all over, always in the most bizarre of circumstances. They were quite notorious now, with a couple of awards under their belt, and one show being adapted for TV. Despite their hectic lifestyle, they never failed to dial in on the video calls, even if the reception was patchy from some mountain somewhere. Colin and Julietta were thinking about settling down. They had gotten married two years ago after a long engagement, and everybody had flown to Uruguay for the wedding. They were married in a pristine white stone building overlooking the ocean, with everyone they loved in attendance. Ruby and George couldn't understand a word of the ceremony, but they cried nonetheless. They cried a lot, in fact. They all found themselves, now, looking at one another, all radiantly happy, in a small English garden, set amongst the rolling Yorkshire hills. George and Alex were sprawled on the grass with the kids. Colin and Julietta cuddled on a wooden bench, and Ruby and Luca each swaying gently on a children's swing. Tabitha strutted by, getting pats and tickles on her lap of the garden, 
flicking her tail back and forth contentedly. They reminisced about the years gone by as the wind blew gently through the trees and a squirrel hopped delicately along the wooden fence. They all soaked in the warm sun and inhaled the scent of freshly mown grass and had that sensation again that they were at home in the easiest company of all.